Level Up Latina partners with working women and mamas alike to guide them in achieving fulfilling career and life goals through financial empowerment, professional or leadership coaching, and personal wellness. Find the unique coaching you need to succeed. You're listening to Vero, Ceci, and Irene, and we are Level Up Latina. Welcome back to another episode of the Level Up Latina podcast. Today we have California State Senator Monique Limon as our guest. Monique is a native of our beloved Santa Barbara, our hometown during our college years at UCSB. Like us, Monique was also a member of Hermanas Unidas during such formative years in our lives. As we understand it, she is the second woman and the first Latina to hold this seat. And we are so excited to have you, Monique. Thank you for being a trailblazer, for being here to tell us about your journey and welcome to our show. Thank you, Irene, Ceci, and Vero. It's great to be here finally with you all as I've watched uh, you all kind of expand your work with Latinas across the state. It's awesome. Glad to be here with you. It's our honor. I know that you have been the guest that we have probably talked about having the most. And we have been so <laughs> back and forth about having Monique. Like we have to have Monique. We have to drive to Monique if we have to have Monique that way. Like we were just so excited and so patiently waiting. You are a busy woman, a mom, just an incredible, incredible human being. So we are so excited to get into that. Before we talk about work and your journey and everything else, tell us about your background and your upbringing. So I actually was born and raised in, in the district that I represent now in the state Senate. So born and raised in Santa Barbara, uh, a local girl, and my parents are immigrants from Mexico. So my dad is from Yahualica, Jalisco, and my mom is from El Sitio Zacatecas. They met here in town um, and decided to, to kind of settle. How they got here were very different pathways. My dad just had a family here, and so he ended up here. And my grandfather, um, who brought my mom over, was a bracero. Um, in the 805 area. So uh, uh, different pathways led them here. And it's a community that I was born, raised in, um, that's given a lot to me. And after college, I came back, I worked here for a while, I went off to grad school, and I came back. And uh, those things that I had a chance to do, I think just brought me back to a community that I cared a lot about. And now I have this role where I get to represent the community. Um, it's a really large community I represent in the state Senate. I represent almost a million people. So it's all of Santa Barbara County and over 60% of Ventura County that I represent. The reason that my background and my upbringing is important is, is because it shapes a lot of my life's views. And those life's views influence how I think about the policy and the work that I do at the state level. And so certainly uh, that also includes some of the, 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 you know, both the professional and the co-professional uh, elements of this. So I think when I think back to like who my friends and family have been to that have supported me in all of my journeys and new steps, right? When I think back of my role in Hermanas Unidas, um, there's a lot of similarities. I, I think that all of those things have contributed to a lot of the work that I do and where I'm at now. And so uh, certainly as uh, a first you never get to be a first of anything by yourself. Um, sometimes you're standing there by yourself, but you didn't get there by yourself, right? So there's so many people um, who have shaped where I've ended up. Um, and I'm really grateful for that. Um, and, you know, I love the 805. You all went to school here. You know, it's awesome. Um, and, and it's all, you know, I'm all happy to, to represent it, but it's, it's unique, right? And, and that's another part of the upbringing that I didn't live in these like, Heart, you know, kind of like urban areas with uh, a high concentration of Latinos. Um, the, the concentration of Latinos, while it's growing in Santa Barbara and Ventura County, it's a little bit more spread out than other places like Los Angeles County. So um, it does also, again, 
shape how you think about the issues. That is such a good point. In fact, we have really been reminiscing a lot about our time at UCSB and how we've talked about how we got to UCSB. And for the first time, being there made us feel like, uh, wow, there's a whole other world here. Like Beto always tells the story about going to the mall and she couldn't afford to shop at the stores that were there. And I remember like finding a Ross and thinking like, whoa, they actually have a Ross here. I'm all about it. Like it was a very different world. But at the same time, we lived in Isla Vista. They had different rules around the university where you could have a lot of folks live in an apartment because of the college students. But a lot of our gente, a lot of our Latinos lived plenty in one unit because they could afford it. And then they worked locally in all the restaurants and they were the ones like busting their tail. And so we were so proud of being Latinas, we were so proud of seeing our hardworking people. But at the same time, you saw the other contrast. You saw the huge divide in Santa Barbara of wealth and the swing and trying to find your place and trying to belong in that. So I, I saw it firsthand living there. It was hardworking. It was immigrants. It was upper class, middle class. I mean, people trying to make it. So tell us more specifically about your experience growing up in Santa Barbara and now serving Santa Barbara. That's so wonderful that you've stayed and you've given back in the way that you have. So I think that, you know, to your point, Irene, it, it's very true. I think that sometimes people think of Santa Barbara County, they think of, you know, a soap opera from the 70s, they think of uh, some of the really, you know, big names that live here, Oprah Winfrey, you know, uh, Ellen DeGeneres, like the list kind of goes on. And I, I think what becomes a challenge for me as a policymaker is that that's the first image people have of a community of Santa Barbara. And sometimes it masks or makes certain communities invisible. And that includes some of the working class folks that I represent. It includes some of the poverty. So while I have no doubt an abundance of wealth in the district, I also have really high poverty rates. Santa Barbara County should not be, but is the county with the third largest food hunger issues among kids. Like it shouldn't be that way. Um, it should not be that way. But that's because sometimes, you know, people don't always think about the east side or west side of Santa Barbara, communities like Guadalupe in Santa Barbara, Santa Maria, right, where it's not some of these, these big names. And all of that has shaped a little bit of, you know, my upbringing, but also who I am now. Um, I know, I, you know, I remember so vividly uh, being in classrooms, right, uh, where one, not everyone looked like me, first of all, um, and, and two, where sometimes people would share their experiences, and there were experiences that I couldn't relate to. I remember hearing all my life as a little one, right? Um, like people would be like, oh, we went to the snow, we went to Mammoth, we went to all of these things. And I was like, yeah, no, never been there. I did not go to the snow until I was an adult. Um, and it was uh, one of our, our good friends, Graciela, who, who some of you know, Graciela Cabello, right? Uh, who does amazing work now in the environment across the state. Um, who actually took me out to the snow. And there we were a bunch of Latinas, like, you know, me, Claudia, Graciela, like trying to like ski and be all cute, right for the first time. And so all of those things were foreign. They were things that I, I think I heard about, I grew up, you, you know, thinking about, but, but the list kind of goes on, right? And, and when you look at it from a policy perspective, you just realize that there's real discrepancies. You know, the fact that like, hey, my dad had to have two jobs, like growing up, that's just the way that, you know, it, it had to work. Um, and we understood that. Um, I, I represent a district that is very, very, very focused on the environment, um, right? In environmental policy is among the top issues. And I think of the fact that like, we never called it that we didn't have that label for it. But like, there was no way that like growing up in my household, we were going to waste water. I'm like, Oh, you mean you weren't collecting the the clean water? Like we've been doing that like way before, like capturing water, storm Honey, water. Honey, right? water, 
also turning the lights off. I'm still that yeah. person. I am behind people yes. and we are turning lights off in this house. And when you're washing the dishes, you turn off that water to soap up. What is the word in Spanish? Mom said para, para when you like fill the dishes with soap. We had a word for it. But she's like, oh. you have to turn the water off while you're soaping up the dishes. I'm like, you jabonas, <laughs> Maybe in jabonar. And jabonar yeah. is probably mm -hmm. a word. I don't know. I probably made it up. But that's how we spoke Spanish in my house. Point is, we were conservers from day one. We learned that from day one in our upbringing. You are right. And see that turn on the heater. Too. Yeah, the heat, right? Like, agarra una cubita, agarra un suéter before you would like turn on electricity. San Marcos, tu San Marcos. Exactly. Yeah. And I'm just like, oh, and my dad still does that. I have to say, like, I'm like, dad, it's freezing. Like, come on, like, let us turn on the heater, you know? Um, and so, you know, all of those things I think about, but I think about how my role also as the first Latina has been to bridge some of that. It has been to bridge the fact that the environmental movement absolutely is about thinking of our environment, thinking, uh, you know, about water, land, air, uh, contamination, and the quality of, of all that. Uh, it's absolutely thinking about the ocean. Um, all of these things intersect, but I also have to have them intersect with the experiences and the lives of so many other people, right? Um, so many people that actually live in the district, but don't go to the beach because that's a dangerous place because they don't know how to swim and their kids don't know how to swim, but still have to share the same air and the same water, right? And so all of those things I think um, are really important to, to my upbringing, but you know, it's an upbringing that I'm also really like excited about, right? Like it's an upbringing. I was uh, first, you know, not just first in my family to kind of lead in, in this world, but like, I think of just like going to school, um, and I, I, and I know you all got some little tips from my good friend Claudia, you know, about what like growing up was like and going to school together. Um, you know, Spanish was my first language. And now I think about how awesome that is that I can speak in two languages in California, where we have a growing population of Latino and Spanish speaking individuals and how that allows me to communicate with a broader audience to connect with a broader audience, right? I think all of those things are all part of an upbringing, but also part of an upbringing that has shaped who I am and what I do now and how I do what I do now. I love that you're sharing, you know, stories of your of your past and how you grew up because we love to storytell. I think it makes us very relatable, even if we're the first, you know, even if like we're sitting here spending time con la senadora Monique, I love that. And to go back to that, and you mentioned Claudia. Claudia, just for context, is uh, Vero's sister-in-law. She's married to to her brother. And Monique and Claudia grew up together, went to school together. I want to say elementary school together. Claudia and I went to school since we were eight years old. In the oh, my God. Wow. <laughs> how cute. How cute. Yeah, so she, recently she was telling me a story about how, oh, my God, Monique was always like, oh, que yo voy a ser presidente, you know, when I, when I grew up. So... I wanted to ask you, is that when, when you, you know, politics sparked your interest at that early age or what was it about, you know, being, being in school that you like, yo quiero, yo quiero ser presidente. So I think Claudia and I have like a different lens on how the, those early conversations in our life went down, right? Claudia uh, said you're going to be the next president now. There's right? going to be two bucks written. Right? Right? There you go. There I you was, go. The, I was like, next CJ, president. where did you get this? Um, <laughs> I think that, you know, what I remember is wanting to be involved in student government. I never remember like saying I'm going to be president, but I was one of those kids. Like I think for Cleveland school, I was like part of the student council and she was too, by the way, it wasn't like it was just me, um, like part of the student council that we changed our mascot, right? To a dolphin, right? Cause dolphin was like so symbolic of Santa Barbara. Um, and we had Island of the blue dolphin so that you had to read. And everybody was like, that's, 
so Santa Barbara. So those are the things that we did. I ran, I did, I, in junior high, I was not in any class office, but in uh, high school, I was. And CJ, and by the way, CJ is Claudia Jimenez. She's no longer Jimenez, but she will always be CJ to me in my heart. I love that. Um, and, uh, you know, so, so Claudia also was part of student government. Uh, me, Claudia, Graciela, the, the, you know, all names uh, who kind of grew up were part of student government. And it's so funny because I think even though both Claudia and I took, you know, leadership roles in Hermanas Unidas, I think Claudia jumped into formal politics far before me, her and a couple other hermanas. And at that point in my life, I didn't actually think that I would end up in that world. I was watching how hard they work, how involved um, they just knew like Bay Area politicos and politics. And I would sit there and listen, but not really chime in. So I think it's really interesting how life worked out that of all of the girls, I'm the first to end up in formal politics when I actually thought it was going to be either her or Margarita, my friend Brenda, like I thought it was going to be one of them because they were more into like these formal roles uh, in politics. But I think that goes to show that there's not one pathway uh, to this world of elected office. Uh, there are multiple pathways. And so uh, that I think is important. I think a lot of it had to do that I came back home. Um, you know, Ceci, you mentioned like, you know, what storytelling does. Uh, that's no different in politics, right? Uh, I, I think that the story that I have of someone who was born and raised here, who is a product of the community, who benefited from many nonprofits in the community, but who also gave back as a board member, um, is a story that I, th I think that, um, you know, it, it's a story that's also a reality uh, that, that, are, that the people that I represent really can connect with. And I think that that's how I've ended up in, in this role. Um, but yeah, it, you know, it is true though. I will give CJ this, that in high school, I got most likely to become president and that is in the yearbook. There so you go. That is correct. Um, in, in the, that, that is what kind of, you know, and I had no problem posing for the yearbook picture for that either. Right. Um, <laughs> but I, I think that as I'm in politics, you know, I, I don't know that that will be the reality. I think, you know, th this is a, this is a hard world we're in very, uh, you know, difficult problems and an abundance of problems, um, but also opportunities. So who knows? I think that uh, my outlook on, on the world that I have is that this is the moment in time where I'm doing the job that I am doing, where I am in this leadership role with this particular title, but I've always, always been open to a future holding both, you know, formal and informal titles as part of my future. Um, I, I think that that's what also makes me success, successful and that I'm like, you know what, there could be multiple pathways for Monique after this world. Um, it doesn't always have to be elected office, but certainly while I'm in it, uh, I'm going big. Love that. Love that. Absolutely. I mean, yeah, um, it's interesting that that story got twisted somehow. And um, and in fact, it was um, it was Claudia or CJ, as you call her, who actually started first. But I remember like I just remember like siempre. Um, just seeing you, how you were uh, promoting and uh, and becoming a politician, the politician that you are now, and just always feeling so proud, like, wow, like, how cool que Monica anda ya, you know, and, and representing our people, and, and you know, people connect with her, uh, we connect with you, and we, we just saw you grow and, and become the senator that you are today. Let, let a woman do the job. A woman can do the work of a man even better, but with heels on. I'm like, and Mino Zapateado, okay, with Monique. Oh. She will come in. It's like, okay, que retumbe la anda y un zapateado while I do the work. Exactly. And it will be like effortless. 
<laughs> it's so funny that you mentioned that, Meadow, because, you know, when I got to the legislature, I think people are like, oh, she's from Santa Barbara. And, you know, I'm part of what's called the Latino Legislative Caucus. There's 29 of us. So out of 120 legislators uh, in both the Senate and the Assembly, there are 29 of us that identify as Latino. And uh, I had this whole image because all like some of my colleagues were like, oh, she's from like Santa Barbara, you know, and I don't know what they thought. And I think, it, you know, slowly they they started to see that, like, you know, when it came to Banda, one day I was like, I just knew way more than they did. I was like, what? Please. Like, you know, like, like, I I've am there Banda Limon. Banda, right, exactly. I was like, Banda Limon. Wait, are you related to them? No, no, no. I oh, okay. No, no, no. They're from Sinaloa. That's the thing. So there, there's Limon. Yeah, there's Limons. Um, a, a big portion Limon family in Sinaloa and Jalisco. And so I come from the Jalisco family. But um, but it's so funny because I, I, I think of the fact that like, yeah, they have no idea. Like they have no idea of, of the Monique Limon that you've all seen, right? That's like, bring out the banda and like, let's do it, right? Uh, so, so yeah, so it's been funny uh, to, to see their like, I, where did you learn that in Santa Barbara? And I'm like, uh, hello, you know, <laughs> like, just because I live in Santa Barbara. Uh, She's like, I, I invented this in Santa Barbara. Everybody learned it because of me. <laughs> I was like, you clearly did not know that HU and HAU used to do like a dance off, right? Uh, at Ooh. all the parties and that we were there and I saw like, and that we <laughs> always won and that HAU always won. <laughs> right. <you> know. <laughs> exactly. I think when I think back of, of you, Grace and Claudia, uh, it's like when I would hear you ladies speak, I would have never thought that you were um, very in touch with your culture because you spoke very much like, like, and yeah. And the way you guys just expressed yourselves was very Santa Barbara-ish, I'm going to say. And I never, I was like, damn, these women are really assimilated with the Santa Barbara culture with, you know, and I remember Horacio making fun of me for assimilating to Santa Barbara culture. He's like, oh, what do you think now? You're always saying like, and you ha have highlights in your hair. And I don't know what, and you want to go spend, <laughs> and you want to get tanning. <laughs> but the thing is that you three were very, like, when it came down to it, like super proud first generation, you know, Mexican American women that were out doing the damn thing at Cal and, and, you know, Grace was at, you know, at FITM and doing it, like really just representing, like just giving the perspective of how different we all are, yet we're, you were so tied to your culture and very proud of showing that and displaying it. I, I love oh, that. absolutely. And I think you're so right. And that still happens, right? I, I think that uh, as someone who represents the coast, and, and I mentioned this, like sometimes like just legislators are like, oh, you, you represent the coast, right? And it's considered, you know, there's people there that drive Teslas and no sé qué tanto, right? Um, but, but I think that that's what's so powerful about the upbringing and the roles that I've had that like, yes, all of that is true. Um, we care a lot about, you know, energy, the environment, uh, you know, all social issues, but it is also true that as a Latina, I, again, I, I bring a different lens to it. Um, and, and that happens all, all the way around, right? I, I think that we do, uh, we do learn a lot and take in a lot of where we lived. Like when I lived in New York, when I went to grad school there, um, you know, that was quite an experience. Like the number of times that I was called Spanish, I was like, Spanish, like we don't refer to like Latinos as Spanish, but in New York, they absolutely do. It's like, oh, well, you're Spanish. And I didn't even get it the first time. I was like, I'm Spanish. Like, do they think I'm from Spain? And then I realized they were actually referring to me as being like Mexican, you know, of Spanish origin. And I was like, oh, yeah, no, in California, we don't refer to folks as Spanish, right? Like all of these things that happen, um, but that you gravitate to. Um, and, uh, I just think it's part of, of where we live, but, 
I also think that being part of a community like Santa Barbara and uh, the Central Coast, there is a you don't take you, you you don't like especially for me that I did not grow up in mass mass like you know uh, Latino numbers like you don't take for granted when you are around people who recognize right some of the similarities or experiences or cultural background that you have um, that that very much sinks in, in in a deep way and so I think that uh, you know hence why you had us you know getting down to to banda and you know speaking Spanish all the way around and whatever else we were doing. Uh, you know, uh, to, to, to remember or to kind of bring out that culture in us. Se antoja ya un verlecito con banda. I know, pero ¿cuál vas a poner? ¿Cuál van a poner? Ahorita la vamos a mezclar con MS and Snoop Dogg. I'm into that song right now. Oh, I like that song. So speaking of, one of my colleagues, Eduardo Garcia from Coachella, I was telling him, I, because remember Snoop Dogg and MS, they were going to go on tour before COVID and then COVID happened and then they didn't go on tour. And so I was telling him, I was like, oh, we should totally go to that concert. <laughs> I'm just like curious what the crowd's going to be like, like more than anything. Very interesting crowd. That's for yeah. sure. Eso sí, eso sí. Well, um, I have a final question for you, Monique. Um, I know you've had a long trajectory in politics and, and the journey, you know, continues. But so far, what would you say has been the most meaningful role you've had and why? So I, I think that um, in my world, my, my, my political world officially, I think, started 10 years ago in 2010 when I got elected to the school board. Um, and I would say that the most meaningful thing in these last 10 years has been um, the moments where I see in the eyes of the people that I represent um, real gratitude, gratitude for the work we're doing. I think there are times where there is an abundance of problems, an abundance of issues that can be very overwhelming for an elected official. Um, and so we sometimes lose sight of that everyday right, lived experience of an individual and how some of the actions we take impact that. Um, and I, I just think back to the people that have shook in my hand that looked me in the eyes and said, thank you so much. The law you passed, the, you know, vote you did, the funding you brought has made a difference and then they'll go on. And, and I think that's meaningful. Um, you know, this, uh, last kind of two weeks, California has been celebrating, um, the fact that, uh, AB 540, uh, has, you know, is a 20th year anniversary of AB 540, AB 540, uh, was the law that passed in California 20 years ago that allowed our undocumented students to be able to pursue college degree at in-state tuition. And um, I've been able to work on some issues related to our undocumented students to provide more opportunity, to provide work incentive programs, to provide you know training for our faculty and staff. Um, and I've been on multiple Zooms in the last couple of weeks celebrating the 20 year anniversary of this meaningful law that changed the future and the life of so many students in California. And um, like just listening to the stories and the gratitude is, is pretty powerful. And I think that as elected officials, we need those moments to give us, you know, the energy and the oomph to keep going in the middle of hard times, especially the last 18 months. Uh, the last 18 months has been the hardest thing I've ever had to deal with a pandemic. There is no training manual, none. I think all of you could probably give me stories of, you know, things that have been hard in the last 18 months as it relates to you personally, to your profession, to your work, um, to your community, to your families. And the list just goes on. And so I think that 
um, when I reflect on what it takes for us to keep going, it is those moments that are most meaningful and that I hold very dear to my heart. Um, and so I think that those are the moments that keep me going. Those are the moments that like I live for it in, in, in politics. Um, and, and those are the moments that I try to replicate. Uh, I try to do the work that means something to people. That's beautiful. Yeah, la yes. gente is agradecida y se siente y se siente bonito when they when they show that love and gratitude towards us. So I love that. And I think it's so much more beautiful too, Monique, that you're estás dedicada. You're so dedicated to wanting to see the results. Like you're you you're really giving your life to it in a sense. You give it your all because you know that it's not just like um because for the moment I'm this, I, I, I'm in this role and this is when I only care about it. You've proven, you have a track record, like we said, of, you know, you have your master's in education, you worked in education, you were on the school board. So you have a passion for it, you said nota. So when you have this genuine love for it and, and you're doing it because you genuinely believe in what you're doing, it allows what the people to see that, they recognize it, and there's that they're that much more grateful that you took the time to do it. You didn't just say like, well, I got ahead, you can do it too, and this is my the step-by-step -step process I did. You're more like, you know what, now I can go back and really help and make an impact. So I'm very proud of you. I'm proud of all the work you're doing. Um, we're talking about upbringing and I'm like, dang, I seen Monique my, like my entire, like, ha like pretty much my life. Right. You're like, I think I've met you. I was 15, 16 years old and, um, you and Claudia and, you know, the hermanas in Santa Barbara, the, the hermanas, well, son de Santa Barbara, but yeah. the hermanas at Berkeley really had a significant, you know, um, uh, role in my life and helped me shape and become the person I wanted to be. I felt it made me more comfortable being outspoken, more comfortable being myself and how I could continue to just be like, my name is not Veronica, it's Veronica and feel comfortably doing that. So I thank you for making an impact in, in my, in my formative years as a teenager, looking at you girls being so cool, being the fashion police and, you know, <laughs> although I, telling like, I laugh at the fashion that we had then. I'm like, Oh, <laughs> I'm like, it wasn't cute. Oh. I wish I was a little more outspoken then. I'm just kidding. No. <laughs> no, but it's so cool to see that. Um, it's so funny. I bumped into Brenda at Disneyland and I'm like, excuse me. Um, you look very familiar because I had never seen her in Southern California. I had always saw her in the Bay. So it's faces, you know, you kind of place them in certain places. I'm like, and she, I, I tapped her shoulder. I'm like, I, I think I know you. You look very familiar. And she's like, oh, you don't know me. And I go, oh, yes, I do. You're an hermana from Berkeley. <laughs> and she's like, oh, my God, who are you? And I'm like, oh, Moracio's sister, Claudia's cuñada. And she's like, oh, my God, yes, you know. <laughs> but it was so trippy and funny to bump into these women that have, like, you guys, you know, have laid down the groundwork for a lot. You helped a lot with the establishing of hermanas at Santa Barbara. You were a close mentor. I mean, you were just like, prepare for the worst always. And you're like straightening your hair as you're like giving me, giving Elisa and I these like, are, are, are you know, the, laying out the plan and just prepare for the worst and always be prepared. And, you know, what you're bringing to, what you're bringing to Santa Barbara to UCSB is great. And we knew it. It was just like the, the way that you, the passion you brought to it really, really made us feel like it was possible. So thank you. Oh, no, and then on the awesome. upbringing part, Monique, también. So now you recently became a mom. So felicidades. Thank you. And <laughs> how has that been? How has motherhood like been for you? How has it impacted your career? If it has it at all, um, share a little bit of that about that with us. Yeah. So, you know, motherhood is one of those things that I think we can make. I think a lot of us, I, I certainly can, can associate a lot of words with. 
Um, and, and certainly like, it's amazing. It's great, but it's also super hard. Um, I think as a, a first time mom in my forties, um, there's a different element of it, right? Like I just learned to live life and do life uh, for more than four decades in a different way. Um, and I think that now um, it's certainly different. Uh, Gianna Jimena, she just turned one on Monday. Um, and so I can't even believe I have a one-year-old. Um, and I, I think as it relates to my job, I can probably write a book about it. I'm only the second woman. Please in, do. Yeah, I'm only the second woman in California history to have a child in the state Senate. Uh, the first one was Marta Scutia, actually from Los Angeles, about two decades ago. So I think that I have a lot to say in terms of uh, the challenges. Um, and the challenges aren't really like people bring on the challenges. I think it's the structure, right, of the challenges. I have a job that's very demanding. Like if they need you at this time, at this place, they need you at this time and place. And for a lot of us, uh, we know that like we can pretty much be anywhere, anytime, any place if we schedule it. Right. Um, and so that's like the piece that, you know, has been a, a, a bit like in terms of trying to navigate with my husband. He's been incredibly supportive. Um, you know, baby has come up with me multiple times to Sacramento. She's been flying uh, with me to Sacramento. And the one silver lining in all of this is that I don't have a comparison point because I always get mothers who are like, how in the world are you doing this? How do you have a job? I'm like, I have no comparison point. I have no other way to do this world. Like I, the life I am living is the only way that I know how to live the life that I'm living. And that's what it is. Um, so I think, you know, uh, she's learned to be in two communities, uh, two homes, you know, um, and we're making it work. And somehow we made it to, you know, the first year, we kind of take every day and every week on a week by week basis. Um, but it's been awesome. Um, you know, I love having a little one. Uh, it makes some of the issues that I work on. For example, I've been working on childcare issues for five years. And I know the policy. I, I, I you know, I've, I've certainly studied the policy. Um, but now having a little one, like I feel the policy in my blood when I'm like, Oh, do you know how expensive like childcare is? And it's not you know, it's an actual policy issue, especially with the pandemic. So many economic experts looked at state legislature, uh, legislators and said, you can't reopen the economy unless you have two things, schools reopening and childcare. They said, otherwise, you won't be able to reopen the economy. So I think of how important childcare is, but the fact that we've not treated it like that as a policy issue. Um, and as someone that was on a wait list for almost, you know, seven wait list, actually, for almost a year, you know, and, and who knows what it's like to be like, we're paying how much for childcare? Um, I, I think of what that means for so many families, including the fact that in the pandemic, we lost more women to the, the workforce in all spaces, because women left the workforce, because the instability of our education um, system, right, and having to be home with kids who were doing hybrid, um, but also uh, because uh, childcare wasn't available. So these are real issues, they impact not just me, um, they impact, you know, millions of women across the United States. And I think that that's why you're seeing too, that all of a sudden, Washington DC is talking about childcare as a policy issue. That's part of the big infrastructure package they're they're trying to negotiate as we speak. Um, it's not 
it's not hidden anymore. This is not a policy issue um, that is just like, oh, someone decided to have a baby. So now it's their turn to deal with it. This is bigger. This is like, if you want an economy to work, women have to be there working. You need women as part of your economy and you're not going to have an economy that works without childcare. So um, certainly again, on the very personal, I feel it. And these are some of the issues that I'll continue to work with, but um, you know, like any other mom, like I have good days and I have bad days where I'm just like, oh my gosh, like I got through the day, but it wasn't like wrapped up, you know, in a pretty like package with a pretty bow, but I got through the day. So, uh, you know, we, we make it work, but um, I'm enjoying being a mom. Uh, it, it's been fun uh, and a different outlook for sure. Como dice Irene a veces, de uno, uno pone y dos dioses pone, because you have all these things to do, like I'm going to do these, and then con los niños, you know. Things just go off the wall. Their log. calendar, their agenda. Just, mm-hmm. But just imagine, like, that's how it was sometimes before when you were single, kidless, where we were like, oh, I'll get to all of this. And then you still didn't have time. And now you put kids into the mix and and you have a California state senator and you're like, what in the world? So I'm so, you brought up some really good points on like how childcare is part of that infrastructure package. And there were so many comments about how, like, how is childcare part of infrastructure? I'm like, well, it makes sense that if you can't, you can't get to work if you don't, if your kid doesn't have childcare. So that's part of everything you need, you know, you need the streets, you need the, the freeways, you need everything, but you also need someone to watch over your children to be able to leave them comfortably and go into the work that you're meant to do. Right. So that's so crazy. I it just also sparked the whole, um, yesterday was Latina equal pay day, right? Latina equal pay day. Yes, yeah. And you mentioned all so many women left the workforce and it was in large amounts of numbers. I was, I was following it very closely and a lot and the majority of the women that left were also Latina women. Um, so mostly because we are in, in industries that were per, per, pertain to healthcare or, um, the hospital hospitality services. Um, but I feel like if let's say you would not have experienced this motherhood aspect, things probably politics or the way you see things might not have been given this new light, right? You would be like, Oh, this makes sense. Um, as to why we need these kind of policies in place and, and this legislation. Um, are you hopeful that things might be changing? I hope so. And I think that like, you know, while we talked about me being the first, I think it's so important to recognize that I shouldn't be the last. Right. And so I think right. that that's part of it that like, I, Monique Limon, will not be able to solve all the issues, all the problems for all Latina, you know, who are underpaid or or for all mothers. Um, But certainly, you know, I do feel like in some ways my role is to do what I can and have the women, you know, that follow me. Uh, build off of that and do bigger and better. And I think that that's part of what we do, right? We we all lay little steps um, and have someone come after us to do bigger and better um, than we were able to do. And that is my hope. Um, and I think it's important that like now we're having these conversations and absolutely the lens in which I see life um, is is different. Um, I, I think that in some of the work I do, uh, there is just a, a stronger passion that comes out in some of this. Like when I have conversations about like the planet that I'm leaving my child, like you better believe that I care a whole lot about it. And that like, I'm not kidding. I'm not just saying talking points, right? Like I'm saying things that I truly believe when I think about the future that we leave our children. Um, so so those, I, I would say, yeah, you, you feel it different. Um, but it's so important to recognize that, you know, I think sometimes people think that as elected officials, we, you know, there, there's this like kind of emphasis on like, you're an elected official, you get to do a lot of this work. I truly, truly believe that we all do the work. 
and that no elected official is going to do the work by themselves. And so I think that um, that to me is something that is uh, very real uh, for me. It's something that uh, I recognize that like this work is done every day by every woman in different ways. I just happen to have a fancy title right? But it doesn't mean that we're not all fighting the fight in our workplace, in our family, right? Like, you know, with our community. Um, And and it doesn't mean that like, you know, when I say fighting the fight that you're taking on all your loved ones or people you care about, you're helping people transition together to a place that I think um, is more supportive and more productive of of finding ways that we can uh, do the work that we need to do, but also care for a family. So, um, you know, that, that's my, my take on how I see all of this. I think that's beautifully said because um, it also kind of translates to, it takes a village, right? Um, you can't allow just one person to do the work as an elected official. Like we need to hold our elected officials accountable and we need to be active in our community to be make sure that our elected officials feel supported in what they're doing as well. And when it comes to raising our kids, it's it's difficult to just think that we can do it on our own. So for the women that have done it on their own, congratulations. And we know it has been hard and, and props to you. But then having a village really matters. And because you have the support, you have the accountability, you have the, the strength to be able to do the things that you need to do and move forward and keep going. So I think it all kind of just comes together um, perfectly. And um, I, I don't want to even ask this question because I don't want Monique to go because I haven't talked with her in such a long time. <laughs> so I kind of want to keep this conversation going. I wanted to ask you that our, our signature question, we ask all of our guests this, um, what advice would you give your 25-year-old self? The advice that I would give uh, my 25-year-old self uh, is a whole lot, let me tell you. So, I mean, I'll stick with one piece, but I have a lot of things to say to the 25-year-old self. But uh, I think, you know, some of it includes uh, this theme that we've had. It's come up in multiple questions today, right? That we don't do it by ourselves, that it takes a village. And you know what? It's okay that it takes a village. It's okay to build that village, to be intentional about who is part of the village that helps you move forward. I think the other piece is I would say is that allow life to uh, present doors to you that you might not have walked through. Um, I, I think that that's one of the, the, the things about the, the world that I ended up in is that I allowed myself to walk through doors where at times I was the only one where at times it felt uncomfortable, where at times I questioned, right, whether I was in the right place. And I didn't always feel the most confident. Um, But it is those doors that I've walked um, that I've that have built, I I think, the the world um, that I'm in now. Um, And I think that also, you know, to just remind my 25 year old self that like this world, as all the success that we have comes with moments of failure. And that failure might be big, it might be little, it might mean something to me, but not to others. Um, And we don't get here um, on this track of pure success, right? Uh, Success comes uh, by, you know, a lot of, uh, you know, overcoming of obstacles. And we all have them. You know, we all talk about them different. They all mean different things uh, to us, but we all have obstacles we've had to overcome. So I think that um, I have a lot to say to my 25-year-old self, uh, including to, to, to be, you know, to start to get comfortable with some of the uncomfortable, not the in- inappropriate uncomfortable, but the uncomfortable of like, you know what, we have to step into boxes and into spaces that we didn't always think we belonged in or didn't want to initially step into. Um, but those are some of the spaces that have, have, that have allowed us to kind of grow. So 
my list can probably go on uh, in terms of the advice, but certainly I think that um, it's a lot of it. And I don't know, sometimes I'm also open to like, that's the advice that Monique, you know, uh, the 42 year old gives, but Monique, you know, the 50 or the 60 year old might give different advice. And you know what? That's okay. It is okay um, for our thoughts to evolve. Um, I think sometimes people are like, oh, you switch your mind. I'm like, no, it's just that our thinking sometimes evolves. And I don't mean evolves in a way that puts down any other thinking, but in a way that like you build more experiences that help you shape what you are thinking. So lots to say to that 25 year old Monique and, you know, keep dancing your heart out away and, and dancing. Yeah, to yeah. Woo, woo. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Esa, Esa. Oh my goodness. That's beautifully said. Thank you for sharing that with us. I feel that Monique's going to have like three books coming out, you know, um, we're going to have the Claudia version with Grace and, and, and everybody else. And then we're going to have Monique's book and then the book by Monique on the, on the, all the advice she would give herself. Um, so I guess we'll have to, you know, since we're constantly evolving and, are, and, and we're changing, we're going to have to have you on in about 10 years because we're going to, you know, we're manifesting that we're going to be on the air for that long. Yes. We'll, we'll keep yes. in contact, you know, we'll schedule it in. And so it has to happen. There you go. You know? <laughs> <laughs> It's, it's, I'll yeah. send you an email, Monique. There you go. We'll have you on one of our sister shows with other co-hosts. You know, we're going to be so huge. We'll have you in at one I of our studios it. in I'm DC in, and I'm Sacramento. In. We love Absolutely it. Absolutely. Love it. That is beautiful. I feel that you had so many good things throughout the show that, you, that throughout our conversation that really um, kind of like hit right at home and, and it resonates with a lot of, will resonate with a lot of our listeners. Um, the fact that you mentioned having multiple pathways, you said for Monique, there's, there's, there's multiple pathways in which she can go in this world. And I feel that we have to be open with that. Many times we make plans and we think that we're going to end up a certain way. And at the end of the day, our, something doesn't go right. So everything just collapses in front of us and it feels like failures. But I love that you brought it in and you said that in your advice to your 25 year old self that you said that success comes with a lot of failures. And if you don't learn, like you need, you need those to be able to really move forward and, and, and kind of enjoy what that success really is, where it's not just, it's not an easy pathway. Yeah. So thank you so much, Monique, for, for being here with us today. It means so much to, to us. And I really, I really, I'm sure I'm not really hoping, but I, I, I believe that the listeners are going to really enjoy this podcast. Um, and uh, I wanted to see if there was um, anything that you, you know, if anyone wants to find you, how can, how can the folks find you on um, either on Instagram, wherever it is that you, they can reach out to you? So I'm on Instagram, <laughs> I'm on Facebook, I'm on Twitter, you know, uh, you name it. So, you know, reach out, uh, Monique Limon, uh, California, that's usually my, uh, you know, my handle or hashtag, depending on what you're looking at. Um, but, you know, just reach out to us, too. I, I think I am always uh, especially, you know, open uh, to talking to folks. Um, and, and so uh, happy to, to connect with folks and, and try to be supportive. Um, as we've said, the theme has been about a village, right? And so uh, it takes a village to build a village. Um, and, and so I'm just very grateful for my village, for my husband, for my incredible family, my parents who help me all the time with the little one. Um, and, you know, to all of you who are constantly like propping us up, right? Um, and, and who always managed to bring a smile to my face. Like, I, I don't know if everyone's going to see this, but we're all like smiling this entire conversation. There's been like full of smiles, you know, memories that have triggered uh, us to laugh and smile. And I think that that's uh, so needed uh, in, in the world and in the work we do. So thank you, ladies. So what an honor. So any, everyone listening, if there's any questions you want to, you know, send over to Monique, feel free 
to find her on her social media platforms. Like she says, she's open and available. She's everywhere. Not an open and available in the sense of she's taken, she's married and has happily married, but she's open to listen, you know, to anyone or have anyone that has questions direct in her way. Thank you everyone for tuning into our podcast with Senator Monique Limon. Um, if you have any questions or want to keep this conversation going, you can always email us at admin at leveloflatina.com and you can find us on Instagram and Facebook at leveloflatina. We're also on Twitter, not as often as Monique, but we're at Latina underscore up. And if there's anything that comes up, feel free to let us know. And Monique, once again, what an honor. Te queremos mucho. Saludos a ti, a tu familia, a tu chiquita. Great to connect with all of you. Igualmente. Igualmente. Bravo, thank you. Bye.